on today's show. Why do you believe the Bible? Give an intelligent answer. Why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Give an intelligent answer. Why do you believe in a resurrection? You better be ready to give an intelligent answer or you will be silenced globally. We owe it to people to not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. You know what that is? That's the difference between beliefs and convictions. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, here again with Scott Dunford, co-host of the show, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Scott, we're trying something a little bit different here today. We've been talking about adding new segments to the show, and so before we bring on the guest, we wanted to talk a little bit and sort of set up our topic Of course, our guest today in this episode really needs no introduction. Uh, Anyone who's been a part of following anything evangelism or apologetics uh, related for years is Mm going to be familiar with a name like Josh McDowell. Evidence that demands a a verdict uh, more than a carpenter. I mean, the list of publications goes on and on. But we had a pretty, well, is interesting a fair word? It was was incredible and also interesting and fun kind of an interview, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I mean, I don't know about you when you were first exposed to Josh McDowell, but probably as a teenager, uh, reading through some of those books that you just mentioned and, uh, just looking through these books that that give great explanations for why the facts of the Bible are, are reliable and true and giving a good reason why uh, we should believe in things like the resurrection. So something I, I know that I had personally benefited from it, but then to sit down and talk to, to the man and be able to kind of hear his thinking, even about, issues that you and I are talking about often, at least even privately about like issues about truth and identity. And what were some of the things that we were talking to him that kind of, uh, I don't know, encouraged or surprised you? Well, I, I think what was most refreshing and I shouldn't have been surprised being familiar with him. I should have expected it more. Yeah, I was a little surprised, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it was a little bit surprising. I think we get so stuck in our heads. Even on this show, mm-hmm. we've debated apologetic methodology and presuppositionalism versus evidentialism right. or classical apologetics and all these different schools of thought. And there's there's definitely things to be worked out there. Those aren't insignificant issues. But, boy, don't we just have a tendency, tendency to sort of just drill down so deep and all the while maybe we're not even having conversations with unbelievers. Frankly, I need to be having more conversations with unbelievers. And it's just so refreshing to hear somebody not treated as an academic discipline on a shelf somewhere or an internal intramural debate about what the best method is, but to simply hear somebody say, no, Jesus died, Jesus rose, this is reality, and you just have yeah. to deal with it. And But to also come across in that way with some sage grandfatherly advice, right? Yeah. And to say, be prepared. So I think that when people listen to this episode, they're going to catch quickly that he's saying you have no excuse not to be prepared for these discussions, but also don't get in your own head about it and overthink everyone's perspective. No, you have to understand the truth is truth and we need to present it and call people to believe the obvious. But there was also something that I thought was to me, I I think is probably going to be the thing that makes this interview uh, special uh, down the road. And that is uh, getting a chance for him to just kind of share his life. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the number 60 years mm. in ministry, mm. it's something I I want to be able to say one day if the Lord should tarry, you know, and you very rarely get to talk to someone who's been in ministry for that long and be able to ask them what contribute to their faithfulness. And so that was a joy to be able to hear that. Mm. What about you? Yeah, it, it was encouraging. And actually, he didn't say 
some of the things that I would expect. And you expect maybe some of these, you know, theological insights of, well, you know, you've got to abide and then there's this and there's this spiritual discipline and that. Actually, the the answers that he gave rather to that question are more earthy maybe than what I expected. And I, and so yeah. I think our listeners are in for a treat. And so why don't we do this? Let, let's let's head into the interview now. We're going to transition, but we, we are trying this out. We are thinking about splitting things into multiple segments. Uh, if you have any input to give on the show, let me in- encourage you with, with two things. First, Scott and I are available. We want to make this as useful to you and your ministry as possible. Alex at missionspodcast.com, Scott at missionspodcast.com. You can email us and let us know how you think we're doing. Leave a review, and maybe it's not five stars. Maybe it's less than that, right? I I mean, I don't think it's less than that, but, you know, you never know. Give us your feedback that way. Also, missionspodcast.com slash survey. The survey is still online. Now, all those $10 Amazon gift cards are claimed, but here's the funny thing. Scott, how many Chinese spy bots uh, or or automated bots (laughs) filled out our survey? About 700? About 700. So I was really encouraged when like 712 responses came through in the first day. I'm like, man, people are really excited to give their feedback. Well, anyway, thank you to the 12 of you that filled it out. And to the rest of you, uh, we don't value the bots opinion as much as we value yours. And so go ahead and give us some feedback that way. Uh, Again, we want it to be a blessing to you. But without any further ado... feedback we got was really helpful it was helpful it was and one thing that people said that they didn't want to hear as much of is the banter so we figured let's add a whole segment of banter at the beginning <laughs> true <laughs> and with that said let's head over to our interview with josh now so obviously josh i don't think you need a huge introduction but obviously maybe there's some people out there who haven't heard make it good He's the author of of More Than a Carpenter, The Evidence That Demands a Verdict, but also what I think is impressive. You've been in ministry for over 60 years, given over 27,000 talks, 139 countries. Some of our people who especially are serving in in Russia and Eastern Europe, the former Soviet Union, are probably aware of Josh McDowell's uh, ministry, Operation Carelift, ministering to orphanages and hospitals, schools and prisons in the former Soviet Union, and has done what, what at least what your website says, Josh, over 46 million dollars of humanitarian aid being distributed. And uh, we just think that's amazing. So that's how I got my gray hair, raising all that money, man. Yes, that's incredible. So, uh, Alex, go ahead. You, you started with a question that you had coming from some of the missionaries that you were working with. That's right, Scott. And I, I do want to credit, I believe it was Clay. Clay, if you're listening, uh, I believe it was our conversation. If not, if it wasn't you, Clay, then whoever you are, you know who you are. You can take credit. But, but having a conversation with a missionary about to go to the field, and the question did come of what should missionaries know about apologetics, not only in dealing with atheists and skeptics and other unbelievers as we tend to conceive of them in a secular cultural context, uh, but missionaries are really wondering how much they need to immerse themselves in that and really how much they need to prepare themselves. Because on the one hand, so many missionaries are learning culture, they're learning language, they're learning all the sorts of things that you need to do contextualization well. But some of the apologetic talking points, that's not exactly something that always finds itself into some of the missionary training. And so Josh, how have you approached that as you've traveled, of course, overseas, you've interacted with many audiences, including missionaries over the years? What, in your opinion, do missionaries need to be equipped with regard to for the realm of apologetics and defending the faith? If they're not equipped, then I would say, why don't you go home and sell used cars? Mm. (laughs) I'm serious. Mm. Everywhere you go in the world, because of the cell phone, the Internet, we're being bombarded with alternate worldviews, ultra claims, ultra facts about Christianity, other faiths, everything. 
And if you're not prepared to answer the simplest questions, why do you believe in the Bible? How do you know Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God? No, come on. You're telling me that after three days, the tomb was empty. Now, come on. When people die, they're yeah. dead. If you're not ready to defend the resurrection, then stay home. Mm. Because it's part of the gospel. I mean, it says be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And that's when somebody says to you, why do you believe the Bible? Give an intelligent answer. Why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Give an intelligent answer. Why do you believe in a resurrection? You better be ready to give an intelligent answer or you will be silenced globally. Yeah. We owe it to people to not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. You know what that is? That's the difference between beliefs and convictions. So many Christians, I say 90% of Christians have beliefs. Oh, they know what they believe. They can tell me what to believe about the Bible, about Jesus, about the resurrection. But they can't tell me why, why they believe it intellectually. And to me, that's the dumbest thing to, to believe something, not even know intellectually why in the world you believe it, especially if you share that message with others. So I say, if you can't do that, stay home and do your homework and then go to the mission field. And your mission field is your neighbor next door. Well, we could end the episode right there because I'm already convicted, but that's very good, right, Scott? I can see you nodding along. You've spoken all around the world. I mean, you've spoken, you know, in... Even Texas. Yeah, over 139 <laughs> countries. And then if we add Texas, that'd be 140, I guess. Uh, so as you talk to people, especially unbelievers from around the world, do you find that their questions about God and the Bible are similar? Or what are some of the differences in, in the way that different cultures are approaching some of these basic questions of apologetics? Majority of it are very, very similar. I speak on it all over the world. And I have to change very, very little. Almost all the questions are the same. Why? Because mm -hmm. of the internet, mm -hmm. the cell phone. Anybody of any knowledge hears what almost everybody has to say. And so all over the world, you will get the same questions. And I got to tell you, it's refreshing when I get a new question. It is. It's refreshing. But I can't remember the last time I got a new question. <laughs> uh, but you better be ready on the traditional questions, the Bible, the mm -hmm. scriptures, Jesus. You better be ready to defend truth. Most people can't even define truth, let alone defend it. Yeah. So you better equip yourself. Mm. Well, that leads well to the next question, which is, yeah, we, we think about defending truth. And you're right, even the idea of truth needs to be defended today. And not just in the West, not just in the U.S. and some of the more European types of cultures. Uh, but across the world, we see postmodernism wreaking its, its toll on people. But the problem is, 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 is maybe not a problem, maybe it's an opportunity. I'd love to hear how you deal with this. So your approach is, is very rational. It's very evidence-based. And there's different schools of apologetics. And you're, you're all about bringing evidence that demands a verdict, right? And yet so much of the unbelievers that we're speaking with, their, their approach is fundamentally irrational. It's not that they have rational, skeptical doubts, but that they're irrational altogether. How have you dealt with that, especially as I think culture has changed? I might disagree with you of that. Yeah. I don't think they're so much irrational. They're uninformed. Hmm. Okay. They're rational, but uninformed. That's how I, I seem to look at it. And I think you could call that irrational too. So what, what would be the difference in your mind between an irrational response and just an uninformed response? 
Well, an irrational response is like somebody says the stupidest thing. Well, truth <laughs> doesn't matter. Sure. And I'll say, is that true? Because if truth doesn't matter, then what you're saying, you know, goes talk, talk to the pigs. You're, you're mm. just as good as talking to a human being then. Truth matters. Mm. And, and the reason is, when you go to your map, do you want a truthful diagram and how to get to where you're going? Or do you want a false one? Truthful, yeah. Like I, w- I was leaving a median and I got about halfway to the exit door because I had to get to the airport. And a college student ran from the back and was yelling, Josh, Josh, wait a minute. And he walked up to me and everybody heard him. He says, why does truth matter? Why does truth matter? And I just simply said, well, do you want a truthful answer or a false answer? I don't think he got it. He just stood there kind of. <laughs> he didn't get it. Truth does matter. Every time you, when you go to the doctor, do you want him to give you a truthful analysis of what you got or just any analysis? Maybe pick up the wrong chart and just give you that analysis. Mm. Truth matters. And so this is why it's so important that we can define truth, we can defend truth, and we present truth. And this is why I love to be challenged in what I believe, because if what I believe is not true, I want to know it. What a better way to find out what you believe is not true is being confronted by somebody and find out, wow, he's right and I'm wrong. You don't get sad because of that. You get excited. You just learn truth. And you raise a great point because you're right. Even in us asking the question, we do assume so much of kind of the legitimacy of this age of supposed irrationality that we live in, right? We, we start to accept some of the categories there. And really what you've pointed out in, in a very direct and, and helpful, I think, way is that there is no one that's living irrationally. Everyone, because, because rationality, logic, that's, it's who God is and it's embedded in reality. Everyone's living in reality. There's people that do a good job of acknowledging it or do a self-contradictory no- job of acknowledging it. But everyone is assuming certain basics of, of truth and falsehood all the time, even if they're arguing as though they're not assuming those sorts of things they are. And, and you're exposing that very thing. So you're, you're right. You really don't have to do much to convince people of the objective reality of objective truth, because just by existing, they're really already yeah. assuming that. Look at your program. Why do people tune in to listen to you guys? We have no idea. <laughs> well, I, I was wondering that too. But anyway, put that aside. No. But do they want truth or falsehood? Mm. They clue in to you guys because they believe you speak the truth. Mm. If they didn't, then they're a bunch of idiots. Mm. Uh, why would you tune into anyone if you didn't want the truth? They expect you fellows to give the truth. And from everything I know, you do. And you do it very well. It does seem, though, that with this generation, the locus of truth, I guess this maybe I don't know if that's the right way of saying that, but is it inside some person or is it out there? And it seems like with this generation, more and more, you start with the assumption that the truth is something that I need to find within myself, and then it gets lived out, rather than that truth is out there somewhere external to me that I need to find. Is that what you're seeing in this generation? Well, if you expect to share your truth with anyone else, you better get out of your self-centered internal Search for truth and go to the objective. Yeah. Mm. Truth is outside yourself that affects you within the way you think, the way you feel, everything. At least it should. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be authentic and genuine. Mm. When you talk to young people, 
and I know you, you talk to a lot of young people and you give that message, that direction. What is the response you get? Do young people respond and say, Hey, this is a, you know, this is a grandfather giving me tough love or do they push back on that? Very few push back because they've never thought about it. Mm. I'm serious. They never, yeah. it's like adults. Yeah. I've never thought about it. I love it when they push back because when somebody pushes back in an audience, it gives you a great opportunity to really establish the foundation of what is true. And uh, so I love it when people push back. Also, I got to tell you, I've had to admit sometimes I've been wrong. And when mm. people push back, I go, wow, I'm wrong on this. And I got to be man enough to admit it and to change. Mm. There's so so much misinformation on the Internet right now. I mean, I feel like there was a time. Don't believe anything on the Internet unless you know <laughs> the authenticity and integrity of the individual or the organization. Except for this podcast. You can, this is on the Internet. You can believe this. But well, yes. I'll let you decide. No. <laughs> it's so interesting. You know, I mean, there was a time when most of the country watched either the same exact news or they watched one of three choices of news. Now you basically can curate, uh, you know, whatever news that fits your predetermined ideologies. And the same thing can be true when it comes to like facts about the Bible. I've gotten baited into some discussions mm -hmm. on the Internet and just found like I'm talking to people that are pulling up like facts and background and stuff that is, I think, completely erroneous. And I don't even know where they got it from. But when you have this, this environment in which, which the basic facts are constantly in dispute, how do we shape that conversation? What can churches do to better equip their people to discern truth from error and find the right information and then bring that information out when they're having, you know, gospel oriented discussions with their friends and neighbors? I think first of all, we can't be responsible for the irresponsibility of others. Mm. We need to make sure of our own personal life. Have we done our homework? Mm. Why do we believe something is true? We've got to decide it objectively in our own lives and then share it with others. I can't be responsible for others. I have enough with my own life. With I, I'm confronted with whew, so much information. Mm that if I don't do my homework, I don't have the right to write or to speak. I take writing and speaking very seriously, and mainly because I'm a Christian, because it says you shall know the truth, seek the truth. And as a believer, if anyone should seek the truth, it's believers in Christ, followers of Christ. Mm. So I can't worry about others. Mm. I let them go their way. I got to do my homework. And then what I do, I present truth. And I defend it, and I give the facts why. Mm. And if somebody accepts it, great. If they don't, it's not my responsibility. I'm not responsible for leading people to Christ. Mm. I'm responsible to make the gospel so clear in the mm. power of the Holy Spirit that if they want to make a decision, they can. But it's their decision, not mine. Mm. I'm responsible to be faithful in sharing. They're responsible for their lives. Josh, there's so much that you've shared that is encouraging. And, and frankly, I think that in some of these podcasts, whether on theology, missions, apologetics, I think sometimes we engage in what the Apostle Paul condemns as 
engaging in speculations about words, not in a way that benefits the hearers, right? And and loving sort of controversy and endlessly sort of picking away at a topic and how many angels can dance on the head of a pin and where did Cain get his wife? And and all of a sudden at the end of it, we we've forgotten that the point is to defend the gospel, to present simply unashamedly and with clarity the faith once and for all delivered to the saints i think sometimes we can lose the simplicity of that and even coming into a conversation like this well what does a missionary need to know about apologetics well simply the same thing that every believer needs to know that it's about defending the simple truths of the gospel and i think there's so much wisdom in that perspective there i want to shift gears slightly well, let me say this yeah we try so hard to win an argument and not to win a person to christ yeah. indeed that's the key. Indeed. Go ahead. We do it. Well, and that leads well to, to I, I guess, the next question. Now, I, I believe if my information is correct, tomorrow, August 17th, at the date of this recording, tomorrow's your birthday, your 83rd yeah. birthday. <laughs> Which one? I think it's 83rd. Is that correct? I knew you would bring age up. I just yeah. <laughs> knew you'd bring age up. Well, uh, you know, I told I, my wife, I never knew 82 felt like 45. But the problem is I can't remember what 45 felt like. <laughs> I love it. Well, the question is, and we, we referenced this briefly in the introduction, but, but Josh, shifting gears a little bit, you've been ministering over 60 years. What is the advice that you give to especially young men, but young individuals stepping into any kind of ministry role, especially in some of these sort of front lines, you know, engaging the gospel, sort of tip of the spear, whether on a college campus or on a mission field, what counsel do you give them? Uh, because you've obviously amassed that experience there too, but I'm, I'm hearing not just here's some evidence and here's some truths to defend, but I'm also hearing you've got to win the person, him or herself as well. And Josh, we want to go far. We don't want to just go fast. We want, we want to be with Jesus for the long haul. So speak to us. So first of all, in your own life, there's three, four things. One, you need to know what you believe Second, you need to know why you believe it. Third, you need to live it. Mm. Fourth, you need to love people. Mm. When it comes to the person you're wanting to reach or talking to or anything, it's, there's three keys. Listen, listen, and third, listen. Mm. When you get through there, do it again. Listen, listen, listen. Ask informative questions. Don't ask controversial questions, everything you say, what do you mean by that? Well, when did that happen? Now, wait a minute, who are you talking to? Ask and form the questions because it shows the person you're truly listening and let them speak and then address the issues afterwards. Hmm. So Josh, what would you say are some of the ways in which the Lord has enabled you to endure for those 60 years doing those four things? They're, they're simple. They're obviously difficult enough that we need God's spirit in us, helping us to do all those sorts of things and striving to stand for the truth and love other people more and more each day. But how would you say that he's sustained you for those six decades and counting? First of all, I wouldn't have had 60 years if I hadn't been married to my wife. Mm. I'm married to one of the most incredible women in the world. I think she's the greatest mother, the greatest grandmother, and no one could have a greater spouse. And I think if your marriage is hurting, 
you're going to be hurting in ministry. If your marriage is joyful, you're going to be joyful in ministry. And this is why one guy was kind of taken back when I was interviewing him to join Josh McDowell Ministry. And he said, the first thing he looked me right in the eye, he says, tell me about your marriage. Hmm. And he said, I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world does that have to do with it? And I told him later, that has everything to do with it. Hmm. If you can't manage your home, how can I expect you to manage in the Josh McDowell ministry? Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes you don't have a choice. And there, I understand that. But for the most part, I want people to have their marriage together, have their relationships together. Why? They'll be happier and they'll last longer, much longer. Second, now your question was directly that, well, I would look at, repeat that. Well, now. yeah, I mean, I, you've, you've answered it in part. What does the Lord use to, to equip you and enable you to persevere for those years of yes. ministry? And, and frankly, I think for anyone engaged in apologetics, the landscape is full of minefields, right? There's all sorts of landmines, not just external attacks on you, uh, but even internally. It can be easy to become embittered when dealing with unbelief and irrationality so often as well. And I I think anyone that's engaged in full-time apologetics is going to feel a a temptation to always be so on guard and so in the position of playing offense rather than defense that it's easy to to lose touch with the Lord through some of those things as well. And so I think any example of longevity is helpful and encouraging to pastors and missionaries alike. With longevity is simply this, you need more than Jesus. I can't believe these pastors and say, all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Just go home and read your Bible, and all you need is Jesus. Now, how dumb can you get? That's so anti-biblical, it's pathetic. I need you to explain that. <laughs> and I wouldn't trust too many people that say, all you need is Jesus, because they're probably okay, going so to Okay, so what wrong. else do you need? The Father and the Spirit. Okay. The body of Christ. <laughs> yes. I need the yes. church. Yes. I need the church. I need the body of Christ. Every one of us, as we try to go it alone, we won't make it. We need godly people around us that will influence our lives, keep us straight. And that's the church. I don't know what the world would look like without the church. You see, yeah, the church has got a lot of problems. Of course they have. But they're still the finest institution Mm. in the world. And whenever you get people together, even the most godly people, you're going to have problems. Well, and not to name too many particular names, but recent names come to mind as far as apologists who've disqualified themselves. And there's many reasons for that. And obviously, sin is an insidious threat, and we all have to take heed lest we fall. But part of that is many people, especially those that have itinerant ministries, have lacked the body of Christ have lacked the church, have lacked the uh, authenticity of relationships and the accountability that comes from submitting to a local pastor, to local elders, the sort of thing that you're describing. And that's true of missionaries as well who travel the world. There's a temptation to become untethered from the local church. This is why it's so important for mission organizations, like at least once a year, bringing our missionaries in together for two, three, four, five days. Let them fellowship together together learn from each other everything and just be together. So I always say I need more than Jesus. I need mm. the church. I need Dwayne Zook. I need Bob Teedy. I, I mm. mean, there's so many people I need. I need my wife. I need my son. I need my daughters. I need people to input into my life as well as my life into them. And uh, this morning I was out jogging 
uh, down at the beach. And when I came back to my car, it's a little Mini Cooper Sport. It's eight years old. Looks like it just rolled off the assembly line. It's incredible. <laughs> a little convertible. And I, I sat there and thought, gosh, I'm so fortunate to have a car like that. And I took <laughs> pictures of it this morning and just adored the car. And then I thought, you know, I'm so thankful to know the Lord. And I reminisced on that for a while. And then I thought, wow, after knowing the Lord is knowing my wife, knowing Dottie, I am so fortunate to have be married to my wife. It's just incredible. I couldn't do what I do without her. I just couldn't. I'd give up hope. Most people say their wives are always complaining when you travel, don't to be home more. My wife pushes me into ministry. My wife is committed mm. to what I do mm. as I do. And then I realize I need my children. And I started reminisce about my son and my three daughters. And while I never knew your children could become some of your heroes mm. in life, I'm just humbled to be the father of these three daughters and sons. And... um Boy, I learned so much from every one of them, and also from my son, who I think is one of the greatest speakers in America. I really do. But then I thought, gosh, I'm so thankful for my friends. There's a man, his name is Ward Coleman. I never knew I could love a man as much as I love that man. I couldn't lie to him. He would know I was lying. <laughs> he would. He would know I was lying. And uh, I'm a better person because for many, many years, I've had Ward Coleman as a friend. And Bob Tede, a guy by the name of Bob Tede, there's no one I admire more, as much, but there's no one I admire more than that man, Bob Tede. He ran my ministry in my life for years. And uh, it's so wonderful to know people mm. who have character. You know their walk with Christ is genuine, mm. and you trust them. You'd, I would trust Bob Tede with my family, with my finances, with my ministry, everything. I would trust him. So this morning I was thinking, how fortunate I am to go through life and have friends like that. And I could name mm -hmm. many more, maybe a handful. You can only have about four, the most five close friends, because mm -hmm. friendships take time. You have acquaintances. And I have hundreds and hundreds of acquaintances, which I cherish, but I only have maybe three or four mm. at the most, five true friends that, you know, when your back is against the wall, they got you. They got my back and I have their mm. back. Yeah. So uh, longevity, 30 years. One is being on staff of Campus mm. Crusade for Christ. I do not believe I would still be in the ministry if I hadn't been on staff of crew for years, I work with some of the greatest people in the world. There's no one I hold in high regard and respect in many mm. staff of crew. And going all the way back to Bill Brighton and Steve Douglas, Steve Sellers, um, other directors, they, they've kept your nose to the grindstone on your walk with Christ. The emphasis on the Holy Spirit in Campus Crusade is so different than almost any mm -hmm. other organization to make sure every day you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, 
I think that is what has been consistent in my life. And then their emphasis on telling the world the truth, on evangelism. You couldn't stay on staff very long and not be an evangelist. Uh, you would leave staff. And when I travel, I'm getting ready to do a world cruise uh, to go to 45 countries and be meeting with staff and crew and leaders. You know why I'm looking forward to it? Every country I'm going to leave a better person than when I went. Because maybe for three, four, five hours, I rubbed arms, shoulders, elbows with these staff. And when you walk away, you walk away a better person with some of the people I get to serve with in the whole world. So that's what, to me, leads to longevity. And then constantly putting the word of mm. God into your mind. Into your mind. But if you put the word of God into your mind, you don't walk filled with the Holy Spirit, it won't take effect. That's so good. So, gentlemen, that's why I attribute uh, 60 years longevity. Mm. Praise God. I feel like just hearing you share about how God's been shaping your life over these years is probably worth the time on our on our whole podcast. I want to follow up one. Well, just think, just think, O'Hero, you guys could write an autobiography. And I've thought about doing this. And the whole autobiography is how different oh, people yeah. affected major decisions <laughs> in your life. Mm -hmm. now think about that. Almost all your major decisions, you could point to one or two people that affected you in making that decision. And I've thought about doing a book about that of nothing more than to be able to write these people a note and say, thank you. That would mean a lot. <laughs> well, and, and think of the apostle Paul. I just preached on the beginning of Philippians, Philippians one, uh, this past weekend. And, and even in that greeting, that's not one of the places where Paul rattles off, you know, Rufus and all of the you know, Phoebe, all these sorts of people that have been a blessing to him, but just the warmth in, in his addresses, he addresses himself yeah. and Timothy, uh, as slaves of Christ, servants, bond servants of Christ, to all the saints, all of them, with the overseers and the deacons, so that that intimacy of fellowship there, not wow. not over, but with that the whole church is together, well, and everything else that he says, he longs for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. And so often when we think about preparation for ministry, we think about culture training, we think about apologetic training and theological education, we think about language, we think about all those sorts of factors. But even just having a web of relationships, not only to pray and to hold the rope financially, but just to be a friend and to be a confidant and to be a mentor, to be a coach, to be a, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, fellows in a fellowship, uh, which is something else Paul talks about, that they shared in fellowship with him. And we hear fellowship and we think potlucks, but it means brothers in arms. We forget that the Bible calls the church the body of Christ, which means that's how Christ meets with us through his body. And uh, yeah, we can say we yeah. only need Jesus, but by saying we only need Jesus, we have to be affirming we, we only need his church as well, right? because it is the body of Christ. But I'm not sure most people mean yeah, that well, when they say it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, they mean the idea of Jesus. We're not an island. We're not an island, but we yeah. can be a peninsula. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you one more question just about leadership and what you've learned uh, as, as I realize we're getting close to the end of our interview. So you've been in the public eye for most of your ministry in that time. I'm sure you've taken some criticism and uh, so many young people when I, when, when they enter into ministry and now if people are finally look at them and they finally taste criticism for the first time, they wilt or they want to run. So what would you say to young people about what are some of the keys to, to being in ministry and being able to handle criticism well and keep on going and following Jesus? Mm. Listen to your critics. Second, weigh your critics. 
And third, be honest with your life. Is it an honest criticism or isn't it? I would say how I feel is about 80% of the time it's not honest criticism, but 20% of the time yeah. it is. And if I don't listen to that 20%, it wouldn't be the life I've mm. lived for 60 years, I'll tell you. Listen to your critics. Even those that aren't good critics can still tell truth. Mm. We appreciate your wisdom. And uh, for many of our listeners who've walked with the Lord for years, they're going to be very well acquainted with your writing, with your speaking. We're also aware there's also people that just aren't that connected. Maybe they're newer to this world of, of podcast, Christian resources, all those sorts of things out there. And so if someone's unfamiliar with your body of work or just wants to get more and is being reminded of, of that and all that you've contributed to the body of Christ over the years, how can they get more from you, Josh? Go to www.josh.org. Go to my website. I try to make it so user-friendly and user-helpful. Ask all questions on the website, and I think there's a lot of answers for your questions on the website. And um, then go to different social media. Look me up. You'll get the good, the bad, and the ugly, and be intelligent enough to discern and I'm not saying there's not things I haven't done wrong. There is. But I almost have never done the same thing wrong twice. Only an idiot repeats his errors. Every time I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if, if the answer is yes, then I don't do that thing. Anyway, for those of you Office fans out there, yeah. but uh, Josh.org. Hey, this has been a great interview, guys. You, you, I can't believe the time has gone by. Well, I can't either, but I really appreciate the time. I know you're, you're a busy man, and we are thankful for the time you invested here. Well, I live out in Orange County. If you guys get out here and no place to stay, no food, you lost your money, no tickets to Disneyland, <laughs> call me, and I'll okay. pray for you. And I'll pray for you. Sounds good. Be warm and filled. And that's our word to our listeners as well. Be warm and filled this week. Thank you for watching or listening to the Missions Podcast. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To get more, go to missionspodcast.com. Or to learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. You can go to missionspodcast.com slash support in order to become a partner of the show. And the best way that you can partner with us is by sharing the show, leaving a positive rating and review in your favorite podcast app that helps get this in front of more people that can be blessed by it and mobilized into God's mission. So thanks again, and we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.